Do better builders make better breakers? In this episode of the Cyberry Podcast, Jonathan Myers, Josh Lospinoso, and Philip Wiley share their views and experiences with the game changers in cybersecurity over the last 20 years and how it's helped and hindered people trying to enter the space. In this episode, they cover everything from rapid iteration and continuous learning to the value of certifications and how to gain the right experience to move forward in the industry. In addition, check out Phil's new book, The Pentester Blueprint, Starting Your Career as an Ethical Hacker, to learn more about your potential as an ethical hacker. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Cyberry Podcast. Uh, today, uh, I'm joined by Josh Lospinoso again of Shift5. Um, Josh, welcome back. And then today, we also have another special guest, who's made the incredible journey, I guess, the big jump from uh, professional wrestling, um, starting to do that, over into the ethical hacking world. Um, I'll let him introduce himself, give a quick break background of what you do, um, and then I'm sure we'll get into some deeper things after that. Um, so yeah, Phil. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I've uh, spent the last eight and a half years working as an ethical hacker. Uh, most recent job was like a red team lead, which gets more into adversarial simulation been in IT and InfoSec for a little over 23 years and also teach ethical hacking and web app pen testing at Dallas College. That kind of got me interested in speaking at conferences and uh, I do talks on becoming a pen tester, which has been pretty popular. Um, Josh, you want to give a quick background on who you are real quick? I'm sure the listeners that have tuned in a couple of times know who you are, but just kind of fill, fill in on what you do and how you live in this space all the time, I guess, now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Thanks, Jonathan. And uh, Phil, it's great to meet you. Thanks for having me back on the show. Um, so I'm Joshua Spinoso. I'm a co-founder and uh, CEO at Shift5. Uh, so we... Um, work in the transportation industry to make sure that critical infrastructure like aircraft, trains, military weapon systems aren't susceptible to cyber attack. I spent about a decade in the U.S. Army uh, as a cyber officer, so I spent a lot of that time at the National Security Agency um, doing red teaming type stuff, and uh, as well as at um, uh, Army Cyber Command uh, doing similar things for them. Yeah. And then uh, Josh and I actually went to college together uh, at West Point where we kind of, I guess I was the one studying IT and like information assurance and all that kind of stuff. And you were still over in the like ORSA operations research world. Yeah, I was in denial. Uh, it, took, it was a long and winding road to getting to, not, not as winding as through professional wrestling, but uh, it, was, it was a winding road nonetheless to get into... Um, computer science and, and software engineering and, and information security. But uh, we, we got here. So all is well that it ends well. Yeah. And what's weird is I took a weird detour. Like when I, when I went uh, active duty, um, I went into logistics and not, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then now here we are, circle back, full circle. So nice. Um, yeah. So top, like, I just got to know, Phil, can you give me like a quick five-minute story? Professional wrestling... Was that like your calling? Like, was it always like a hobby and it just kind of like kept going? Or like what kind of led you to that, I guess? I assume you're from Dallas. Yes, I'm from the Dallas area. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was born and raised and grew up in, in Denton, Texas. And whenever I graduated high school, I had no plans. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I was grown and I had to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, I competed in powerlifting and was always kind of a big guy in my friend's told me, say, hey, you should be a pro wrestler. So I thought that sounds kind of cool. So I went to wrestling school and did that for a couple years and then got married and needed more stable income. So I ended up going to a trade school to learn AutoCAD. And that's where I found out about IT. So I ended up getting into uh, IT, doing sysadmin work. The little the first six years of my career moved into security, AppSec, and then uh, eventually pen testing. Nice. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess that's pretty a common path. I think a lot of, I think I started in the whole, you know, uh, sysadmin type situation and then kind of like learned more and more and got more curious. And then that kind of just led me down that rabbit hole of kind of getting into the the cyber field. Um, but yeah, so I'm originally from San Antonio. So I was like, I was wondering if there was like the uh, the Mexican wrestling influence that was like, you were super into and kind of got you into that type of thing. Um, but 
Lucha Libre. Yeah. 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 Josh actually spent a lot of time in San Antonio too. So like big Texas connection here too. Um, Yeah. So uh, Josh has like, I guess Josh, you have like, I guess the weird odd person out because you didn't come from like a sysadmin type role, I guess, because you were doing the denial stuff and then like figured out that like you really wanted to do programming and things like that. So um, yeah, no, I, 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 uh, so, so I kind of found information security through, uh, through programming actually. So like, uh, I, I think there, there's so many ways that you can get interested in attacking and defending systems, whether a lot of it's rooted in like, are you kind of coming at things from a configuration and tools perspective, or are you like, more interested in building those tools um, are, are kind of interesting ways of parsing up how you get involved in penetration testing and information security. And so for me, I I, I started with um, kind of systems programming. So C, C++ for, for computational purposes, like doing mathematical things and then realize like, oh man, you know, you can write um, like, with the operating system API and do all sorts of really interesting stuff and went down that rabbit hole uh, and ultimately, you know, got into the practice of like building techniques and tools uh, that, that pen testers uh, would use. Um, but like, that's, I think a very complementary and distinct approach to, Hey, I need to set up this whole enterprise architecture, figure out how I like instrument and, uh, and manage and orchestrate this, like, system of computers and do that in a secure way. And then you start getting into, uh, into like, uh, you know, information security from that perspective. It's like, Oh my God, like how do I roll these patches out to this entire, you know, this huge fleet of networks or make sure that people are up to date or that they're not doing stupid things. And how do I do group policies? And, and you start getting towards the same sorts of concepts from like a, a very different, uh, different background, I think, you know? Yeah. I think that's, I think like, well, at least in my opinion, I think one of the like, the better penetration testers and people that kind of do like application security, things like that have like this tinkerer mindset where they've kind of, you can see how they've like gotten to that evolution where they're like stepping through all the ways they used to do it. And then they come up with like creative ways of kind of going around and bypassing their traditional way of like doing things. Um, Especially I would say like for me coming from the sysadmin type stuff, when you're trying to automate ways to patch like thousands of machines at once you know, back pre like cloud provisioning of VMs and stuff like that. But like, you know, back when you had physical machines and things like that, trying to get those like playbooks and things coordinated, you start to see all these different like holes, especially as like you've noticed your, I would say like your configuration management has like a misses something and you're like, hmm, that's interesting. Like why did that not get applied there? And it's like all these different like hiccups cause all these different like, you know, gaps in the system. And I think some of the the better penetration testers and things like that out there are able to kind of notice these trends and start to like manipulate that. And I think it's it's a very interesting because it's it's almost like you're putting in a bunch of work to kind of get to that way. Um, I don't know, Phil, do you have like a very similar kind of getting into it that way is like you were just slogging along a lot and trying to automate and doing a bunch of things or did you kind of have like a different way of getting into the whole pen testing and application security stuff? Yeah, when I got started as a sysadmin, that was back in 97. So it was like the old Novell Netware days when it was <laughs> the predominant network operating system. Yeah. So that's when I started. Actually, I kind of what got me interested was the Hacking Exposed book and Ed Scotus's book, Hack and Counterhack. That yeah. got me interested in learning pen testing. So I played around at home building some of the labs that come with the books and stuff. And that's where I kind of started getting kind of interested in it. But when I moved into application security, we're using vulnerability scanners for the web applications. And I went to some different vendor talks on different tools. And that's when I really got interested in pen testing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not to like date you or make you feel old, but like uh, (laughs) I kind of got hooked in the whole thing was in high school. uh, So like 2000, like early 2000s. Um, our network was running Windows and it was all the Novell like systems. And I like volunteered to be on like the, you know, the 
the group that would help the one teacher, you know, that has to administrate the entire school network, you know, because it's a public school and there's one teacher that knows anything about computers that happens to be in your high school. And so she's responsible for like maintaining logins for every teacher and every computer lab and things like that. So like just completely overwhelmed. And so they, you know, they try to get like student volunteers to like come on and like do things. And I remember just like playing around. Um, I actually got my buddy uh, detention because we were we were finding ways uh, to manipulate like your user profile back in the day where it, like it runs things that log in and things like that. And you could like plant certain things. Like I, I was in high school. So, you know, I think the most common thing I did was the, was that the run DLL 32, like mouse comma disable and like the keyboard comma disable. Um, and to get those like scripts to like catch your teacher logging into your account and stuff like that. Um, but I actually wrote this like, so I'm sure you're familiar with like early windows, like in the windows Explorer, like the actual, like the pretty print on the left, they gave like the file information was all basically like HTML, just like rendering on the screen. Um, and so we were like customizing that HTML to put like password prompts and things like that. Uh, and we actually blue screened a teacher's computer. Um, and when they did a recovery, they found like the working director we were working in, what I, I just happened to name after my buddy. Um, and so he actually got a, he got detention <laughs> for me blue screening a teacher's computer in like 11th grade, um, all based on like exploiting the Novell type system. Um, but that's kind of like where I, I kind of like really got into that like tinkering type thing, um, you know, playing playing with like sub seven and some of those early tools early on. Um, but yeah, like Josh, what, what was your like earliest, I guess, memory of like kind of like getting into this space and like where you started to like actually hit, hit the ground running and starting to kind of like go nuts? Was it in college? Yeah. You know, it was much later for me. Um, I think, so I spent a lot of time in grad school, like writing performance code, you know, to do stuff for, statistics and, and data science. And then when I got into the military and got into this whole kind of army cyber context where I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, I just, you know, you, you sort of don't think of, you think of cybersecurity in the abstract as this thing that, oh yeah, there was like this weird bug that came out, but I don't really understand it. I guess people should patch their stuff. And then like you start learning more and more about how these things work. And you're like, oh my God, you read like Aleph One's, you know, um, smashing the stack for fun and profit and, and just like, pfft, you're like lights, you know, like if you, if you've ever programmed in, in C or C++, you're like, oh my God, like I get it now. Like, I, I can't believe this. You can turn data into instructions. Like that blows my mind, you know? Um, and, and it opens up this whole world of possibilities where you start thinking about the computer, not as like kind of this thing that runs your programs, but you think of it as a system of systems and that, all of the rules of the system are kind of like set up with the intentions of the person that designed them, but sometimes you want to do something else. <laughs> and so, and so it's your job to rethink like how those rules are composed and where you want to end up using those rules uh, or maybe, maybe a hole in those rules that the designer hadn't thought of. And that whole idea I, I think has appealed to me ever since I was a toddler. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, trying to figure out how to get what I wanted. And so, um, yeah, I just really fell in love with information security much later in life. I think I just wasn't really exposed to it as much. Um, although, you know, I, I think, you know, thinking back, there were like little breadcrumbs that um, that would have been helpful to follow. Like, uh, I don't know if you remember like the Game Genie uh, for like, uh, was it Sega and NES? Like oh, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the one thing. you could like input the cheat codes and yeah. like... Yeah. 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 Or, or, or like, you know, Diablo hacking and like, there's, you know, I think a lot of people get an entree into these things through, through games. Um, because, uh, you know, um, uh, it, it's a system of rules and you're trying to figure out how to get to an objective and, and subvert those rules. Um, but, but yeah, it took, it took me a while to, to get into it. I don't know. Um, Phil, what was your kind of like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you talked a little bit about your journey in, in pen testing, um, but I, I think also it'd be really interesting, you know, as someone who, who's, who practices this stuff every day, 
um, uh, first off to talk a little bit about like um, your book. I mean, it, it, it seems uh, like an awesome guide for people who are, um, you know, maybe like me, didn't really know a lot about this stuff and then are looking for a way of understanding, okay, like what is a pen tester? Um, how, how do I get involved with, you know, what are the, what are the skills that I need to become a pen tester? Um, and what is, what does a career look like? What is a typical engagement or setup, uh, like, and I, I would love to maybe get into some of that as well as, you know, your motivations for, for writing the book. Sure. The book actually, the came out of my, it actually evolved from my first day of class lecture each semester. I would kind of give an overview to the students about what pen testing is. And it really didn't go too much details on becoming a pen tester because they were taking ethical hacking class and they would learn in class. But as I had other professors in the college ask me to come speak to their class, I added more information on how to become a pen tester to it. And, you know, I started giving this talk in my uh, class back in like January of 2018. And by November, I had come up with the talk to give it the B-Sides DFW conference, the Dallas-Fort Worth B-Sides conference on how to become a pen tester and then just mentoring people over the years and, you know, students trying to become pen testers. And before I even got into teaching, I did a lot of mentoring and just guiding people on what to do to become a pen tester. So I knew this was really a missing, a missing resource. There's tons of stuff out there on how to do pen testing, how to, you know, do the hacking part, but no one shows you what you need to learn before you're ready to do that. You know, you go out and buy a book on, you know, one of the hacking exposed books going way back you really don't know that, okay, I'm going to need all this background knowledge before I start. And I really saw the need for that. So that kind of, and I, and it's interesting because I run into people that have worked in pen testing for a short period of time and they've got some useful tips from the book, but I just knew that was a missing resource out there because there's lots of good resources. And I list some of the different resources in the book on different certifications that are helpful as well as different courses that are helpful in learning, learning the skill set. Yeah, I think I actually I took a count I took a ethical hacking course at uh, so I went to West Point and I I'm pretty sure I took an ethical hacking course and this was back in probably 2008 and I like I had no idea what this was I was just like oh this looks like a cool elective and I think the book we used was like Counter Hack Reloaded um, but like none of these like it was like back then it was like ethical hacker I don't think there was like this this like tie in with like what a penetration tester like does and like any of that type of stuff. It was just like, oh, you're just going. And they still didn't like, I guess, well, at least the way I remember it, like it didn't get classified as like penetration testing. It was still very much like you're just doing like offensive hacking with like a white hat on. And there was like this very different, I think, connotation with how that kind of worked. Um, And I think it's super interesting looking back now, like how penetration testing comes in and I think that's a much more like approachable way of like kind of taking people through that whole like white hat hacking and that ethical hacking type process. Yeah, for sure. I, I, so what do you, I mean, one of the things that I think is a pretty hot topic of debate in the pen testing and information security community is uh, the value of certifications. Um, and I know like they all get lumped into one big like bucket because it's a, obviously a lucrative industry for people that kind of create those certifications. Um, you know, what has your experience been, Phil, on like the value of these? I, I know you, you have, you know, some chapters dedicated to like certifications and degrees and developing a plan and gaining experience. Like what is what is the 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 kind of, top-level argument uh, about certifications? I think with certifications, they're really a must for people trying to get into pen testing because if you don't have any experience, it kind of shows that you've had some kind of training on it and passed an exam. You know, it's going to be your OSCPs and your SAN certs that are really going to help more. Some of your entry-level stuff may mention like the CEH or Pentest Plus, but, you know, those are entry-level jobs. We usually jobs are looking for OSCP, uh, the SANS GPEN, uh, the GWAPT, other offenses security certs. When you look at serious jobs now, it was kind of interesting because I remember back years ago when I was first getting into pen testing, looking at some of the different certifications and some of the consulting companies were looking for a CEH, but that was like doing other types of security stuff. They wanted you to have the knowledge 
of you know offensive security, but not necessarily know how to pen test. And then you get into the jobs that where you're actually doing pen testing, then they're looking for the OSCP or the the G pen. They're they seem to be weighed pretty similarly sometimes, but with the OSCP and offensive security certs, you actually have to go into a lab environment, hack so many machines, you know, to be able and prove that you did it to get certified. But the that's really important. But once you've been in it for a while and you know what you're doing, then certifications are not as important. And a lot of people that are hiring managers that have been in the field for a while realize that you don't have to have an OSCP to be good. There's some people out there that can work circles around OSCPs, but getting your foot in the door is really important. Yeah, I think I think one of the interesting ways that I kind of think about it is like it's it's great for getting your foot in the door, but like to make that like jump to be like really, really good at your job and like take that like to be like exceptional, you have to have a lot of like foundational knowledge that doesn't necessarily come with a certification that only kind of comes with like time and just doing it over and over and over again and like reading all the different ways people are kind of exploiting things in the wild. Uh, but like, yeah, I would totally agree that, you know, certifications to kind of get your foot in the door, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a way, I, it's, it's tough to say, but like a lot of people, especially like larger companies and things like that, when you apply, like they run keyword searches on your resume and it's like they're looking for very specific words to even like consider like calling you or like to reach back out again for a follow-up. Um, but it's kind of that basic way of just kind of proving that, you know, you did something and you kind of met those gates. Um, but I think, like you said, like once you start to get to like the more senior levels, like it's it's almost completely irrelevant because if you like take the test again, you're just like, well, there's this like weird edge case and you start like kind of picking apart a lot of the questions. And it's like, I find that a lot is like, I start overthinking a lot of the questions that certs are trying to ask. And you're trying to come at it from like the super nuanced way that, you know, you've been burned twice, you know, with the standard answer, trying to do this like problem and things like that. Um, but yeah, Josh, what do you, you don't, you don't, do you have any search, Josh? I don't, um, but I've also never like done professional pen testing, like commercially. <laughs> um, and so, so, um, it, you know, the, the point is really well taken that like, you know, for people that don't, don't have any experience in this, think it's really something that they want to do. I think it's a fantastic way to show number one, show your seriousness about it. Right. Cause any sort of certification you do is going to require diligence, money, preparation. And so you're sort of signaling that you've, you've got the like desire to, to learn this stuff. Um, you know, I, I think for me, um, you know, as an employer, that's, I, I definitely look at certifications and degrees and things like that as data points that help me understand, um, when someone is faced with something that's difficult or challenging, like what do they do about that? Do they sort of see it through to its 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 conclusion? Um, I think, and, and I know, Phil, you talk about this in your book. One of the things that I really look for is not so much, you know, um, uh, what, what I look for is is when 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 people demonstrate a passion for what they are going to do at, at my company. Uh, through projects that they've worked on, right? Like, if they do, you, have you set up a lab at home? And do you do you tinker around with these things? Do you have a bl- and and sometimes people's personal context, like they can't, they don't just don't have the cycles to to do a lot of this stuff. But but when people do have the cycles to like you know have a blog and and start like pushing stuff out there, that's when you know you've got someone with a ton of potential, right? Like they're. There, there's a curiosity and, and the hunger to like learn more and, and, and get your like hands dirty with, with, with technology um, that, uh, that I find both really invigorating and like a great indicator of, of success at, at, at Shift 5. I don't know um, if, if your experience has been similar, Phil, or, or, or maybe you talk a little bit about kind of that, that chapter of the book. Yeah, one of the things that uh, helped me get my first pen test job is I had an AppSec background security background and some sysadmin experience. And my first job I got was consulting as a pen tester. And I got the job because the guy could see the passion that I had for learning that I had a home lab before I got into pen testing. I had my home lab and I was uh, running Apache web server and hosting websites that did web design on the side. So all these things I, you know, 
I didn't come home after work and play video games. A lot of people I worked with, that was their thing. But I, you know, actually I came home one time, my daughter, I bought my daughter a PlayStation one year for Christmas, came home and spent an hour playing Crazy Taxi. And I remember how the time <laughs> flew by and it was like, man, I could have been doing something useful. I thought I could really sink a lot of time in that. So I stuck with just learning. So like I said, I used to do web design on the side. I would host the webs, the, the websites at home. So I had a Linux server running uh, Apache web server on it. I was managing my own DNS, had up, uh, had SendMail set up to do email forwarding to my customers and all that. And that's how I learned and, and got that experience. And my first employer, one of the things he always encourages us to do is to learn to build things, not necessarily learn how to hack into it. You know, he's managing pen testers and he's telling us, build something, you know, write an app, you know, set up a web server, install some software, build something, you know, you're going to be a better breaker if you know how to build. Yeah. I would say like one of the other things is as you're building or like you're practicing in your home lab, you're always going to break something. And you have to know basically how to recover from that. And I think that knowledge that you learn, like recovering that is super valuable um, kind of moving forward and progressing in your career, right? So like one of the best examples I can think of is I used to play around on like Windows 98, Windows 95, and then what was it? Windows ME or whatever. And like I'm going in changing registry settings because like I want to, you know, I just want to see what happens. Like if I change this one setting, like does something happen or does something fall over? And I remember I crashed Windows so many times, like blue screens of death. And it was like my family computer. Yes, and this wasn't a virtual machine. Uh. <laughs> yeah, this was not a virtual machine. Like this was, I think this was like middle school, like early high school. And it was the family computer. And the deal my dad eventually made with me was like, if you can recover it and it gets back to normal, I won't ground you, right? Like that was the like status quo. So like I became like very, very familiar with like DD and like ways to clone and recover data on hard drives and things like that. And I think that kind of like, thing of like going down those rabbit holes and discovering like those very tiny low level stuff is super beneficial. And the only way you get that is, you know, having a home lab and having a computer and just kind of like making those mistakes early on. And I think that's like, that's like having a home lab. I, I don't know. I think that should be a more like, that should be the question on the res like the resume or the interview, like before, like what certifications do you have? It's like, tell me about your home lab. And then like, that's kind of where we'll start the conversation. Um, yeah, yeah, I for, remember. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I, I think the other thing that's so instructive about uh, a home lab is, you know, just thinking from a, from a software engineering perspective, where I spent most of my time. Um, when I look at uh, a junior person coming on. And when I say junior, I just mean someone who doesn't have a lot of experience. Um, there's, there's always a balance of like, you want to nurture and mentor people as a senior engineer. Um, but you don't want to stifle the like educational process. And so much of being a really good software engineer or being a really good information security professional or be, being a really good administrator, network administrator or system administrator is like the ability to research, like the ability to look at a problem and say, huh, like that's an error code I've never seen before. And your first impulse isn't to turn around and ask the senior engineer what the problem is. Your first impulse is, Let's go to Google. Let's see what Google has to say about this. Let's go to the manual. Let's see what the manual has. And having a, a willingness to sort of do exploration and learn as a matter of course. And then like knowing when, okay, it's been four hours. I've been stuck on this. Like, let me go ask, you know, uh, a senior engineer in the corner for, for some help. And, but when you've set up a home lab and you're like working on these things on your own, there's no senior engineer there to, to like, bail you out when something happens, when you blue screen your family's box or whatever, like you're on your own trying to figure out what happened and, 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 and remediating situations. And so again, as a signal for me, I feel like someone who takes the time to go and do projects on their own, I couldn't ask for more than that in, in looking at somebody who'd, who'd want to come and join my team. Yeah, those are good points, especially from like a mentor perspective or a senior 
perspective, you don't want to spoon, spoon feed the people that you're, you're trying to mentor and bring up. You want to show them how to find the answers. So point them in the direction. That's one of the things I really liked about going through the OSCP. Offensive security, you know, some of these other courses, they may give you some tip on something on how to do this, even like in the labs themselves, not the actual exam. They're not giving you the answers. They're making you try hard to find the answers. And one of the, what of a good friend, good friend of mine that I mentored that he's been pen testing coming up on three years when he started the company where we worked together, I wouldn't give it to him right away. I would give him certain articles or links to certain things, let him figure it out on himself by himself. Because when you just give them all the answers, that's all they're going to do is come to you for the answers and not look for the answers themselves. So great points on the, the research. I really like that. And then Josh, you were talking about not VMs, man, did VMware change the game when you could just click a button and restore from snapshot? Ooh, man, I would have, I probably wouldn't be as good as I am with like hard drive recovery if that was in existence when I was crashing the computer. Like, yeah, dude. Yeah. So sometimes, uh, so, so, you know, I, I guess like, you know, Ghidra has like a, a, a back button now, um, you know, but <laughs> But for the longest time, you know, Ida did not have an undo button. And so like, so like when, when, when some of these like better tools came out for like the, the youngins, when they're like reversing, reversing stuff, like I, I was like, on one hand, I was like, that's, that's total BS. Like you should have to, <laughs> you know, like learn the hard way, like I did and like gain a healthier respect for everything. And then on the other, I'm like, no, it's actually great that like all of this, uh, all this new stuff is here that helps people iterate and learn. Uh, quicker, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you get, because you're, you're going faster, I think you have the ability to kind of try more things early on, right? Where I think earlier, you know, you're, you're wiping an entire hard drive to reinstall Linux, right? Like that was a process. Like that didn't take 30 seconds, you know? It's like, that was a, a commitment of, you know, probably 30 minutes to an hour, depending on how you set it up and if you automate it and stuff like that. And so trying all these different tools and techniques would take like weeks or months. Whereas like now it's like, just fire up that fresh VM, like hit your tool at it, like figure out what happened and then cool, rip it down, start on the next one. Um, and so you can try all these different operating systems and like all these different software tools and kind of, I think help you narrow down where you kind of like, because I think everybody kind of has like that niche they they gravitate towards um, in like penetration testing and things like that. Um, and so I think helping people find that faster is like only good um, because like that's, that's super, you know, it's like, it's like watching a TV show that like you really like, but like the middle of the season is just like super slow and you're like, I don't know if I can get through this. And I think that's super overwhelming for a lot of people getting into cybersecurity and penetration testing is like when you try to just like Google, like what is penetration testing and like what is cybersecurity? Like the stuff that comes at you is like out of control. Like it's everywhere. It crosses like every different spectrum, but you know, kind of being able to rapidly iterate across which one to kind of find which one you kind of gravitate towards is super valuable, I think. Um, but yeah. Totally. Yeah. And then, I mean, just the ability now for you to like read about some, you know, ridiculous remote code execution that came out and whatever operating system, you'd be like, oh, that's cool. Like, let me try it out. And you can, you know, download Metasploit and then, or Kali Linux, and you can spin up a bunch of VMs and go and, and experiment with it. Um, it. The world's your oyster, really. Like if you've got the motivation and, and a little bit of direction from some mentors, like, you can learn so quickly these days compared with, you know, Phil, when you were starting out, it was, it took a, a lot more um, resources and time and heavy lifting to like even be able to test some of this, you know, some of these things out. Yeah. And that's one of the advantages to mentoring. If you've got a mentor to help you, they can save you a lot of time. Cause when I, I was getting started out, as you mentioned, there wasn't as many resources, but there's more now. And as Jonathan was mentioning, you Google cybersecurity or penetration testing, the stuff you have come back. So if you got a good resource, then that can cut down a lot of your time that you're wasting trying to find good resources to learn from. Yeah, especially because I'd say a lot of these topics, especially first coming into the field, they're not the easiest to grasp. 
And so like hands-on labs are super valuable as you're like walking through each step of like how an exploit happens or like a specific one that was like made public and now it's, you know, patched, but like getting an image that was like vulnerable to that and like stepping through what it's doing is super valuable. And I think especially if you have like a good mentor that's like, hey, and is like pointing you in the direction of like good configured like examples and things like that. Because like back in the day, you'd read about an exploit and you're like, oh, you'd have to go find that distribution. You'd have to get all the package that are vulner- packages that are vulnerable to you know that remote code execution or like whatever and configure it just to get started to kind of go down that path. Um, whereas like if you have a good mentor that can kind of point you into some pre-configured ones or like have a very good resource that's kind of got a bunch of these like tools and like images readily available, I think finding that's like half the battle. Yeah, definitely finding legitimate sources and like you're talking about, build, download the stuff. It's nice. You can go to exploit DB. Uh, not only do they have the exploit code, you can find links to the vulnerable uh, software to be able to install that and set that up yourself. All the different vulnerable VMs out there. So yeah, it's it's a lot nicer nowadays. I mean, you know, <laughs> you have all this set up on your own because I mean, back when I was get kind of getting started, you had uh, the DICE uh, ISOs that you would download. They were ISOs of Linux, and you oh, would yeah. hack through those. That was kind of what there was at one time. Now you have like Metasploitable that you can download and all these other vulnerable VMs. So it's a uh, nice yeah, what were they, they were called what? Live ISOs? Was yeah. I think? Yeah, yeah. Where it was just like a read-only file system, which is like cool, but like still has limitations. Um, and it was just burning that to a CD and then, you know, loading that up. Just it is like if your CD like burned incorrectly or like the file hash didn't match and it's like you just wasted like 45 minutes downloading you know, back then was probably like, what, 700 megs a file, but it took an hour and then burning it and, uh, memories. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, I want to, um, uh, I want to learn a little bit more about your motivations for writing a book. Um, tell us a little bit about like, why, why did you do it? Uh, how long did it take? What was that writing process like? Um, and uh, you know, would you would you recommend to others that they 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 do this uh, this crazy thing of 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 trying to you know write a tech book? Yeah, my my reason for it was to be able to help people on a broader scale because one of the things I was seeing is I go to conferences giving my talk, the pen tester blueprint. A lot of people were were learning from it and asking more questions. And the funny thing is, I was on the CFP committee for besides DFW and. Sometimes a talk can be given at quite a few conferences, but there's still a lot of people that aren't getting the material. So this is kind of a motivation to, to write the book because some people weren't finding the information. Some people, you know, they don't know about the conferences and they're not accessing this information. So I wanted to put it out there so on a broader scale, I could help people just like from teaching to presenting at conferences and doing conference workshops, I was able to help people on a broader scale be able to do that through a book was, was one of the other reasons. And that's to be able to put the information out there to share was, was the main reason for it. And I would definitely do it again. One of the things I did learn a valuable lesson is to, to ask for help. I've been one of these kind of people that, you know, too busy trying to do it myself. And when I was writing the book, I was really busy with a lot of other things because I teach as well as have a day job and the items on becoming a pen tester that was pretty easy, but I was having a hard time filling the book. So I ended up deciding to look for a co-author and I had Kim Crawley help me out. She does a lot of blog blogging for cybersecurity companies. She's done stuff for AT&T Security, uh, let's see, Silence, a bunch of other different companies. So I decided to see if she had helped me out and she was good to bring on because she was able to, to come up with good ideas on other areas of security, some of the security basics to help fill out the book and made it a lot better book. I mean, she goes over the come up with the idea of using the CIA triad, just other basic security stuff that I was just kind of overlooking. But yeah, I would definitely, if you're interested in doing something like that, I would do it, but I would start with blogging, get used to writing because like my writing style was short to the point. That's why it was hard for me to fill the book. Trying to come up with close to 200 pages was kind of tough for me. So I'd say if someone wants to write, write blogs and maybe the blogs could be, you know, related to the topic you want to write your book on and you may have like, 90% 90% of your book done whenever you get ready to do the book. Yeah, so Josh, very different experience than you had, yeah. 
Yeah. I, so I, I ended I wrote a C++ book. Um, and I mean, I, you know, look, it was, um, a labor of love for sure. Um, it took, I, I, I think, you know, it took me about three years. And, um, so I, I, I did uh, no starch press was my publisher. I don't know if you, you, you may know them, you do a lot of like infosec stuff. And, um, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, if you really, really want to learn a topic, boy, um, write a book about it. But, um, as far as like, you know, encouraging work-life balance and everything, it, it's, it really is more than anything, a, um, contribution to the community that you love. Uh, I, I know for me, I've, I've read more, I probably, my wife would say purchased more, um, uh, you know, programming books in my lifetime than I probably have time to read. Um, and they've always, to me, felt like the best way to learn something because somebody spent a ridiculous amount of time curating and organizing the content in a way that you are, as the reader, you're just maximizing your time. Because blog posts are great, um, but I feel like they're great for either people to kind of get a sense of what's going on or for people who are already full stride and are just keeping up with like um, the goings on of like whatever field is. If you, if you need to, you know, learn a whole field in a, in a manageable amount of time, or at least get a good survey of it. There's nothing better than a book to, to get you from zero to 60. Um, it's just that like putting that together, that, that presentation uh, is so difficult to do well, right? Because the, the time you spend like reorganizing content so that it flows logically or, 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 or saying things in a really concise way. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I, um, had difficulty with a chapter or a section. And it just took the humility to realize, you know what, it's not because I have difficulty writing it, it's because I don't actually understand it well enough. And I have to go back and spend some more time with this content, reading other sources, doing a project, whatever, before I'm ready to go and and and, and write this, this section out. So uh, yeah, I don't know. It's one of these things where I might, I might heal over time or maybe like with kids, you just get amnesia about forgetting like what a difficult process it was. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll do it again at some point, but yeah, it's, um, uh, it, if you've done it, you know how difficult the process it was. And so, uh, you know, congratulations on, on, on getting it over the finish line. No, thanks. It was definitely a, a great experience. And it actually the, I was lucky for that, uh, getting the contract on the book kind of worked out pretty well. I was intending on writing a book based on my conference talk. And then I was interviewed for the tribe of hackers red team edition. And so the publisher I'd posted on LinkedIn about being in the book. And one of the people from Wiley publishing reached out to me and asked if I was interested in writing a book. So I had this idea for the book. So I sent in my idea and got it formally outlined and all that and got the contract actually around October of last year. And when I brought Kim on to help me write the book, she helped get the book knocked out pretty quick. She started with me in April and said we could be finished by uh, the middle of July at the latest. And we were done by then. So the parts after that's just the edits and going through stuff with the editor and all the final stuff. Uh, to get the book ready. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I, it blows my mind. That was like less, less than a year. I, I guess probably having the content kind of ready to go and, and having... Um, work through that content in your courses and everything must have, must have been a tremendous help in, uh, uh, in, in, in having it like kind of ready to rock. Yeah. And this is the, this is basically how to become a pen tester. So it's not like, you know, you're teaching someone how to code in C plus plus I'm not teaching someone how to pen test. I'm giving them an idea of what pen testing entails and then learning resources, prerequisites and that kind of thing. So it's not going into a lot of depth. So, I mean, if I even would have wrote a book on, pen testing, there's things I would have had to research further to, to really have a good, uh, well-explained book. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I would love to hear more from you about like where the, where do you see like the future of penetration testing going? And I guess by extension, um, frontiers of information, uh, information security and cybersecurity that, uh, we're seeing start to crop up and that, uh, 
you know, enterprises and, and technology asset owners are going to have to start paying attention to? Yes, one of the things that's really gotten popular, I mean, it's nothing real new, but cloud pen testing, you know, because a lot of people like myself, when we're in, you know, pen testing, you know, we weren't doing cloud specific. So there's people starting to specialize in cloud. So there's more people skilled in, in cloud pen testing. There's not as many courses in it. So that's part of the problems there. There's a couple books out on on cloud pen testing. So getting the resources for that, I just think what's going to happen is a new technology to evolve. There's going to be, you know, testing that needs to be done to make sure it's secure, you know, with like autonomous vehicles, you know, companies are hiring their own pen testers or, or security researchers to test the security on those as well as medical devices and all that. So just as new technologies come about the, you know, everything's connected. So those items need to be, uh, tested to make sure they're secure. Do you think, um, do you think that penetration testers are going to have to start specializing in, if they're not already um, into the different kinds of platforms that, uh, that, that we're seeing like things like, uh, you know, autonomous vehicles and IOT devices and operational technologies, ICS, SCADA, um, or will, will you see generalists able to kind of pivot between IT heavy embeddings like a, an enterprise network or a cloud environment and, you know, something like a, you know, a, a water treatment facility like a ICS SCADA. Yeah, I think you're going to have to, you know, because most of my career, I was a generalist. I was doing, you know, web app pen tests, wireless networks and network pen tests. And so, yeah, you really have to, I think you have to specialize once you're getting in, getting into the IoT more of your hardware, your ICS stuff, that's more of a specialization. And I think if someone really wants to get good, that they have to narrow the scope of what they're they're studying and what they're learning, because it's hard to be really good at all of it. And if you look at some of the people in the industry that are really good at something, they're not doing everything. You take the people who are writing all the good AD pen testing tools, they're not doing a lot of web app stuff. They're focusing just on that. And as you see the people writing all the web app tools and doing you know, the bug bounty uh, researchers and all those, they're doing stuff specific to that. So I think they're really good, good at that particular discipline. You have to specialize because it's hard to be good at all of it, you know, and it's interesting too, and what, what may vary there. So if you're really, if you're really good, strong in infrastructure and active directory, then the way to go on cloud for you would be like Microsoft Azure, you know, since active directory is there, a lot of the Microsoft products. So there's just different ideas of things that work good together. So if you're a good infrastructure pen tester, Azure works good. Some people will specialize in, in AWS, people that come from like a, a DevSec background or doing cloud stuff. I mean, like Ian Coldwater is a good example that, you know, her Kubernetes background, a lot of the cloud stuff, you know, she got into pen testing was really good at testing those areas. So yeah, you have to kind of specialize in certain areas if you really want to be good because it's, you know, kind of hard to master all of it. There's some people out there that can do it, but you know, uh, you know, you have to be a really sharp person to do that, keep up with all all the technology, just even trying to keep up with technology in general, but be able to understand the security and figure out how to break into it. It's just hard to do it all. Yeah, I think it's I think it's gonna be interesting because I mean, what's your what's your opinion on kind of like so I'm very much for the idea of kind of like leveraging compute and scannings to kind of do a lot of the baseline stuff. And so like, I'm not afraid of using a tool to like, just do like the first once over and catch like all of those types of things. Um, I think a lot of people starting off, I think they kind of want to stray away from a lot of these tools. But I would say that kind of like, at least in my opinion, the industry is kind of like moving along very fast now, right? Like it's the landscape changes, not every 10 years, but like every two years. And so I think if you're not kind of embracing a lot of like these pre-automated like scans or like the cool buzzword machine learning and AI that are doing like log analysis, like I think you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. Even if you say like, oh, well, I just want to learn how to do it like manually a couple times so that like I know how to do it in the future. I think we're kind of, I think we're almost kind of past that for a lot of things. And I'm I'm curious on what like your opinion is like where do you think that bar is starting to sit right because I know a lot of people that were like very against like automated like log uh, analysis and 
things like that, like early on, because they were like, no, like it, there's no way it can like catch these things. But I would argue that like your time is much more valuable kind of doing these like weird nuances, right? Because if it's a standard like tool, you know, like a standard scan will catch it. Um, so what do your, like, where do you kind of sit on that whole, like implementing a lot of these like automation tools and security scanners kind of like in your toolkit um, for kind of doing a lot of this stuff? I think it's important because what the vulnerability scanners are going to do, they're going to catch the low hanging fruit. So you don't want to spend all this time manually testing, you know, certificates, you know, for the security for SSL or TLS, you don't want to spend all that time. That, so the vulnerability scanner is going to catch low hanging fruit and most pen testing consulting companies use a vulnerability scanning. Most companies do, in general, even internal uh, resources are going to use vulnerability scanners that way you can, you know, you, you got limited time. You take consulting companies and you've got 40 hours to do a network pen test. If you're doing everything manually, it's going to have to be a pretty small network to get through it. So it's good to have those tools to augment your, your pen tests. And then as you're mentioning, like the machine learning and AI, a lot of people are saying that it's going to report, replace pen testers. My view of that, I think it's going to help because, I mean, with like web application pen tests, uh, you know, you've got these automated scanners and stuff, but it can't find everything because even though it's written in the same framework, using the same web server, uh, this whole same stack, developers are going to code something different. So there requires some manual interaction. I think AI and machine learning are going to make better tools. So be able to find the easy things quicker. I don't see it replacing people anytime soon. I mean, you're going to replace other Areas probably before you do pen testing with that because there's a lot of things that require manual testing and as well. But I think it's going to help. It'll be interesting to see how they help. And one of the one of the things that's kind of a pain with some vulnerability scanners, especially when it comes to web app vulnerability scanners, is they find a lot of false positives. So back in my consulting career, a lot of companies I was working for, the only vulnerability scans we did would be with Burp Suite because if you're running <laughs> Web Inspect or App Scan you're going to find a ton of false positives. You got to go through there and you've got to make sure that it's, you know, an actual finding or not. So you have to go through and manually test all those things. Yeah. And then it's, it's going, it's combing through that. And then it's kind of like what you're sharing with the, like the customer that hired you to do the thing is like, do they want to see, like, you don't want to show them all these like false positives, but they're like, no, I want to see the raw report. And you're like, ah, oh, well, like it's, it's very difficult to kind of like tiptoe around that. I think utilizing the scanners will allow pen testers, like if they just agree to like using that upfront and kind of some of the, like the nuance things that are kind of coming, the ML and the AI and stuff like that it'll allow them to get more and more creative and kind of spend more time on those like truly like outside of the box ways of thinking about how to exploit the app or to like find that like, I don't want to, it's terrible, but like the artistry in it, right? Like that whole like clever way of kind of tricking the system. I think by using those scans, you're kind of giving yourself more and more time to kind of do those things, which allows you to get better and better at your job faster, as opposed to kind of like the traditional, like sit there and wait for the scan to run and then go through and kind of like line by line be like, nope, that's false positive and things like that. I think that's super interesting to kind of like bring it in um, as a tool to kind of like show certain things that are like kind of like the baseline, you know? Um, yeah, Josh, what do you, where you kind of sit on that whole using these fancy terms. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, um, you know, automating where it makes sense is, is, is really, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the right way to go. And then, um, uh, and then using your precious resources of human time to investigate those things that um, seem promising. And, from my perspective, um, that transcends a lot of different kinds of pen testing. So there's obviously the sort of consulting-based pen testing arrangements that you have, but it also interestingly has parallels in when you're um, reverse engineering and doing vulnerability research of a binary or of, of a program, because you've got sort of, you know, automated vulnerability assessment in the form of fuzzing and some of these kind of like tools that are available to you to find like bugs and different things by by blasting a program or a service with all kinds of input, you know? Yeah. Um, 
I think where you find, uh, or where I'm deeply impressed with with folks is where they can use the uh, results of those more automated tools to help them zero in their precious precious resources on those like um, interesting findings from the automated, uh, you know, automated r- r- results. So, so Phil, like you said, you're going to find a ton. Despite the nature of these things, whenever there's a heuristic involved, like you're going to find a ton of false positives. And the art, I think, uh, you know, to, to use your term, Jonathan, is is like looking at the false positives and having an intuition that like, hmm, you know what, I think in this like section or this this particular service, like there is definitely something, you know, there's some gold in those hills. Like I remember reading this blog post about something or whatever. Um, and so it'll... Uh, it's one of these things where I think you'll never automate the job away. There's just, there's, there's, there's no way to do that. Um, it's just too complicated of a, of a system for, for you to make it totally embedded, uh, to- totally automated, but um, where you'll see the true uh, experts and, and, and like great practitioners in this space is where you can, you can marry like a really solid expert understanding of how to get in there manually and, and do reverse engineering or, or, um, you know, testing of a service or or, or knowing what tools to launch at what, what part or finding misconfigurations with the automated stuff. Um, that's where you're really, you know, that's where I've consistently been impressed with people. So what does like kind of embracing all this automated scanning and stuff like, what does that mean to people like getting started? Right? Like, is this just basically ever evolving the like entry bar to the space, right? Where it's like an entry guy 10 years ago is like light years behind what like an entry level guy, you know, today is, right? Like, how do you think that starts to kind of play, right? Because I think it's as we're moving like faster and faster, like it, it becomes very difficult to like draw that line in the sand is like, what's beginner now, right? And if it took you six months to a year to get to that point, like, are you ever going to reach it unless you're kind of doing some interesting things? Um what do you what do you kind of think about that? Yeah, you have to to do something constantly different. And that's one of the things that helped me my first five years as a pen tester, I was working for consulting companies. So you have a lot less time to do your testing because like a network pen test that I would be given, I would have 40 hours to do the pen test and do the report. And when I was working internally for a bank, I was doing pen tests for them. I would have four weeks to do the same testing. You know, if things are going well, you're going to find a lot more, you know, with the four weeks than you would in the 40 hours. But uh, the thing about consulting was different types of clients working across different types of industries. You know, I got to do, I got to pen test airlines and, you know, different government agencies and different retail agencies. So, you know, everyone's got different platforms that they're using, different network configurations, different types of applications and stuff. So, Consulting gives you really a good way to to constantly learn. Otherwise, it's up to you to to learn on your own because a lot of your internal pen test jobs, you may not get enough to grow. You know, your first two or three years as a pen tester there, you're going to learn, but then you're going to start to the plateau and you're going to have to either change jobs, you know, get into some bug bounty type stuff or just do some security research on your own, that sort of thing to continue to learn. Yeah, I like I, I manage our uh, bug bounty program library. And so it's, it's very interesting because I can tell like where people are in their career from like the report that they like submit. And so it's, it's super, it's super interesting to just like watch those like progressions. Cause like, you'll be like, Hey, you know, this, this isn't like a thing, you know, it's like, I like where your head's at and you're trying to be positive and stuff. And what's great is like seeing them come back like two weeks later. And it's just like a totally different person at that point. Right. Cause they just like did the deep dive on like bug bounty programs and just started doing so much. And you're like, okay, now he's, now he's getting it. And it's, I think that's, that's super interesting. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Like if you're kind of stuck at like a larger company and it's like, you don't really have that opportunity to kind of see these things that are like changing as they're changing. It's, it's very difficult to kind of keep up, um, unless you're doing a lot of stuff like on your own. Um, which I'm sure it's similar to a lot of stuff that you guys are doing, Josh, like every time, like, you see a new platform, like it's, it's just like a whole new like thing, you know, it's like, they're probably still vastly different from the others, but still like basically a black hole out there that nobody's really gone down totally. that path yet. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I just think you have to have humility, right? Like it, you they call it like the the Zen masters, like the open cup mind. You know, it's like you you try you're you're in a new context and you try really hard to realize that this is a new context and you've got to learn the ropes and and have the humility that maybe the things you know from before don't apply. But then sort of like once you're once you've gotten a sense of what the new system is like, then you can start bringing those learnings in from your, from your history. And that's where things get really, uh, really interesting, right? Because um, so much of innovation these days is like taking stuff that you know from one place and applying it in another place, but it requires that you have humility at the onset because, you know, we all know that first. He's like, Oh, I have, I've been there and done that. And this, you know, I, I, I'm a like marketing expert. Of course I can like know how to program. Uh, you know, like there's just, you know, there's, there's different contexts that you, you've really got to have respect for. Um, but, uh, for, for sure, I think when, you know, at Shift 5 we've got all these different kinds of platforms, there's trains, there's aircraft, there's weapon, military weapon systems. You've got different kinds of like boats, building management systems. And, they're all different. Like they're all used in different operational contexts. And so you've really got to be sensitive to how the user uses them and um, how they're designed and things. But there are unifying principles and how all of these systems are engineered and designed. And so um, I think it's re- it's definitely possible to apply lessons from one place to the other. You've just got to be careful when you're dismissing the nuances of a new something that's new um, versus when you're taking your experience and finding a pretty good pattern match, if that makes sense. And I don't, I don't know that there's a right answer. You've got a, you've got a balance between the two. Maybe it's, it, like I said, I think it just really comes down to humility. Yeah. Um, so Phil, what do you, what is your, like your day-to-day job right now? Um, I think you're at point three with Evan down the street in Baltimore. Uh, yes, that's correct. Nice. Yeah. I went to work for them in, in, uh, September. So I, the lead curriculum developer. So we're creating a cybersecurity learning curriculum for the U.S. military. Nice. Yeah, Josh, I don't know if you've spoken to Evan. Um, I think we've had him on the podcast before a couple of times. Um, but yeah, down in, down in Baltimore, building some. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time in Cyber Command um, and, you know, they got like an incredibly important mission. Um, I think by their nature, they're going to continue to have a lot of, um, you know, like they attract a lot of really smart young folks that are just going to need a lot of training. And so, um, yeah, I, th- that, that's gotta be a, a huge priority for us as a nation is like providing really high quality cybersecurity training to, to the, the, the pr- practitioners in the field that are responsible for keeping us safe. You know, um, we had, uh, put together, um, a bunch of like programming courses for for like some of the new um, new Air Force and Army uh, cyber folks down in San Antonio, and um, it was like one of the most rewarding experiences for me was like putting great training together for um, for new entrants into into the military because um, you know they're just so eager to learn and um, you know it's it's uh, it's a great really bright population to to work with I think. Yeah, this is kind of an interesting uh, area of sector for me to work in because I've never done anything associated with the military. So that's kind of cool to get to work in that area. Something something new. Um, yeah. So uh, any closing thoughts, Josh, Phil? Uh, one of the things I'd like to share is, you know, some people, you know, want to get into pen testing. Just, you know, like anything else, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So take your time learning as you're going through any of these certifications, learn the content too, because just having the certification is not good enough. So that's some of the main things I see. I've run into fellow practitioners in the field that took assembly programming in college, and then now they're actually having to use it, but they just did enough to pass the class, just enough to pass the exam. So, you know, the things that you're going to use in the field, make sure you're learning them. Don't just go through and pass the exam, get the certification or get the degree. Make sure you're understanding what you're doing along the way. Yeah, Phil, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the dangers of having like certifications and degrees is uh, sometimes 
certain kinds of people can be um, tricked into thinking that by just getting that degree or getting that certification that all of a sudden you uh, you're, you gain admission into this profession and it, it you, you just show up to work every day and you do a job and it's very static. Um, and, and that's the double-edged sort of having these certifications because I think certifications can be really good both as like training and as screening criteria. But as you've, as you've like illuminated, you uh, to do well in software engineering and penetration testing and security engineering, um, it's a lifelong calling and you have to have a certain kind of like attitude where you constantly want to learn new things and you're constantly challenging your assumptions and trying to get better and you're tinkering with things and you're, 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 you're experimenting because the, the field moves so quickly. And if you're not doing those things and not keeping up, um, you're not going to, uh, it's not even just that you won't be at the top of your field. It's that you, you won't be over the long term like an effective at your job even. And so I think that that's a really important thing for, um, for folks to understand. And I think, you know, Phil, the the book that you wrote really helps to illuminate to people the, the path that they're going to need to walk, not only to get into, uh, penetration testing, but gives a really good entree into like, Hey, this is the sort of, you're not just doing this to prepare for the, for this, uh, for this profession. Like this is, this is the profession, you know, you're, you're going to have a home lab where you're like knocking stuff around and reading blog posts and doing certifications and learning new things. Like that's just like the only constant in change. It, it, you know, the only constant is, uh, is change in this field. And, um, uh, if, if that doesn't sound like a appetizing environment for you to work in, then it's probably, it's probably not the right field. Nice. Well said, Josh. And with that, um, I want to thank Phil and Josh again for joining us today on the the Cyberary Podcast. Um, it's awesome having you guys. Great conversation. Loved it all. Um, so thanks. Appreciate it. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberary Podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.